So when I heard that Mark Burnett and Roma Downey were doing a show on Netflix called The Messiah, I, I kind of thought I knew what I was going to be getting. Because after all, these are the producers who gave us the Bible and AD. And they're self-professed Christians. Not only that, but they are also, you know, Roma Downey was in touched by an angel. You, you kind of have certain expectations going into a show like this. And the show that we got was so much more complex and interesting than I ever could have hoped for. And I want to talk about that on today's Project Shadow. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my latest book, Crucify My Love. And yeah, I want to talk about the Messiah today because I loved this show. And I know, at least from some of the reviews that I read, because I was curious, because I'm always curious how my opinions line up with others, I have not found a lot of criticism other than a Forbes article that really didn't like the show and some conservative Christian sites that didn't like it. But I have to say, this is a show where your mileage may vary. But before we get into it, before we do that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. And the more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And after all, that's why I do this podcast in the first place. Thank you to everyone who's already done that. So yeah, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey did a series for Netflix called Messiah. So my initial thought is, this is going to be about Jesus. This is going to be kind of a sequel to Son of God or something, and who knows. And then I saw the first trailer and I was like, huh, well, this is going to kind of be their version of Left Behind. I guess, because it's set in the modern day, and apparently the Messiah has returned. And then I watched it, and I was not prepared for what I saw. Now, don't worry. As usual, I'm not going to go into spoilers until I warn you. And I have so much to say about this. I already have another episode planned later in this week to go into this show more broadly because I think there's a lot to say here. Now, would I say that Messiah is perfect? I don't think it's perfect. I do think its pacing can be slow. And I think that its storytelling is intentionally confusing because the purpose of the entire series is the question of is Al-Masi the Messiah? And if so, what does that mean? If not, what does that mean? And how does this all play out? And yeah, there's some interesting things that they do throughout the season to really make you question who he is. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Antichrist? Or is he a fraud? And that's the basic 
premise of the show. And it is pulled off so beautifully well, at least in the first season. We'll have to see how well they play out this story going forward, because there's always a chance to Game of Thrones this and Dan and David into the ground. But at least for now, I think that they handled it really, really well and really competently. The characters are interesting. All of the characters are interesting. I, I felt for the Israeli security officer, the CIA agent, the pas Texas pastor and his family that we end up meeting. And they all have a very interesting story to tell and how it all comes together into this question of who is this man? And more than anything, and this is where I find this fascinating coming from Mark Burnett and Roma Downey. Now, they didn't write or direct the show, but given the content that they've produced in the past, this is a show about belief and how it can be dangerous and how it can be meaningful and how it can be abused and how it can be used for good and for evil and for everything. This is a series about the question of belief and believing. In a lot of ways, this is kind of the first time I've seen a really good, and I'm sorry for using this buzzword because it's been co-opted by people who don't know what it means. So I may have to backtrack and explain this a little bit better, but this is one of the best postmodern deconstructions of the end times I have ever seen. Because that's a difficult thing to do. When you're looking at a question like teleology, what is the end of all things? Or eschatology, what is the final state? What, what, what are we all moving towards? It gets difficult to do that in an era where we have, just within Christianity alone, numerous versions of how that story could, should, or might play out. And this show approaches it from a much broader base where we have secular characters and Muslim characters and all seeing it through their own different prisms in a way that I felt was fair to most of the characters. Now, we'll talk about some of the Muslim characters in a little bit. I think that's one of the places where Mm, the show was interesting, but bordered on cliche in some places. But even there, I kind of understood where they were coming from, and I felt like it came out of the tension within the characters themselves. But we'll talk about that more when we get to the spoiler side of things. All in all, I think that the questions this show asks are really interesting and really important. Because if Almasi is a hoax, it really shows that we as a society and as a world are unprepared for a hoax on this scale. And we've never had a hoax on this scale. But we, we really aren't prepared for it. If somebody were able to make fake miracles in such a convincing way and to have this air of mystery built around them in the era of social media in the way that Almasi has, if he is a hoax, a hoaxer, 
we're just not prepared for that. The, the amount of chaos that that would instill in our country and in the world, it would be devastating. But then you have the other questions of, is he real or not? And that is the brilliant tension that this show has is he is either, I mean, you really have three choices. He's either the Messiah returned or he is the Antichrist or he's just an agent of chaos. So he's either the best version of the Joker pulling off the best practical joke on everyone or he may or may not be real. And for Roma Downey, and <laughs> I'm sorry to keep going back to that, but for Roma Downey and Mark Burnett to see this story and the potential in this story, and maybe they know where it's heading and I don't, and my, my personal theory, and this isn't a spoiler, this is just a theory because of who it comes from, it's eventually going to be revealed that he's probably, I, I, I don't know, we'll talk about that in spoilers. But yeah, this show was gripping for me. And it's because this is a question that I handle a lot in my own fiction of what is the price of faith? What are we willing to give up for faith? Where does faith come from? Because I think everyone has belief in something. And that's one of the main thrusts of the series. Everyone believes in something, even if it's their own abilities. Maybe it's their country. Maybe it's their religion. Maybe it's their family. It's everyone has something that they hold on to in times of turmoil and trouble. And to see that get dissected in a way that is brilliantly not cynical. And that to me is the main superpower of this show. And why I found it so interesting is most, most stories that try to tackle these topics approach this subject matter from such a cynical worldview that you don't know if you want, even want to spend the time listening to them. They're so bold-faced in their assertions. This is why the God is not dead, dead movies really don't work because they're so forthright in their statements about what they believe about God that it becomes this level of cartoonish villainy almost on their part. And you really don't have anything to get out of it if you're not already in the way of thinking that the show is definitely, that movie is definitely trying to portray. And other versions of this often go into it with a very cynical point of view that people who have faith are just tricked or lied to or gullible. But this show doesn't have that perspective, and that's what makes it interesting. I really can't say anything more about Messiah on Netflix without getting into spoilers. So let's enter the spoiler zone. If you have not seen season one of the Messiah on Netflix and you do not want to be spoiled, check out now. Go watch it, come back, and see if you agree with me on what I have to say, because I'd really love to hear some other perspectives on this. But you've been warned. Spoilers are incoming in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I hope you left if you didn't want any. So, 
the ma major tension in the show is Almasi, which is not his name, and it is not the title that he himself chooses. The first group, the Palestinians in Syria that he shows up to, that he quote-unquote saves from ISIL, call him this because according to their tradition, the Messiah will return to Damascus wearing yellow robes. And Almasi appears for the first time, and a freak sandstorm comes out of nowhere and blows the Daesh forces off the field and saves Damascus. And that's how this series begins. And so they begin to call him Al-Masih, the Messiah. And this is the name that the media picks up on and spreads around the world. Now, what's so interesting about his character is he is played extremely sincerely. But that sincerity, th this is the thing that's fascinating. There's, there's one episode in which the government sends a prostitute to his room to seduce him because they have the room bugged. They have cameras all through it. And if they can get video of him with this prostitute, then they've got him. And he ends up converting the prostitute to his way of thinking and helps her through her emotional problems. Now, this, is, this scene is like so perfect to how this show deals with these questions. If he is who he says he is, this is how he would have reacted. He is not interested in having a one-night stand with a stranger who's basically there for groupie sex. But if he's a hoaxer, if this is all a fraud that he's perpetrating on the world, he's smart enough to know that they've got cameras everywhere. He's smart enough to know that this is a setup and that he can't go through with it. So he would have done anything to get out of actually participating in his own downfall. And that's the brilliance of the show. We don't know which it is. Because you can see motives from every side. Did he walk on water? See, that's the... Of all the miracles that get played off in this series, and we see three of them, and I'll talk about the last one last. The first is healing the boy on the Temple Mount that gets shot. That's easy enough to fake. It is, because nobody can track down where the gunfire came from, and the boy and his family are whisked away for their own safety. So, that would have been easy to have somebody who's in on the hoax, who has a squib, sound effect fires of a gunshot, squib goes off so that there's blood, and he palms a bullet that he places in the spot when he heals miraculously heals the young boy. Easy to fake. Did he fake it? We don't know. And because we're never allowed to see the kid again. Which, for reasons that make sense, everybody's looking for the miracle boy. So yes, you want to keep him safe. But also, if you're trying to hoax this, you don't want the kid accidentally unraveling the hoax. So you get rid of the kid. So it could play either way. The one that gets me the most, other than the end is when he walks on water in the mall. He walks through the reflecting pool. He walks across the water at the reflecting pool between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. 
And yes, that could be faked. But there are so many ways to fake that that someone would have seen the setup for. So I doubt that those are... I, I am struggling to find a way that he would have faked that and been able to pull it off without somebody having seen the hoax, without somebody seeing the setup. If somebody would have placed plastic under the water, that wouldn't have worked because, well, that's probably how Netflix did it for the show. Anybody who was there, any of the reporters could have easily just gone up and you know, they kind of brushed in the water looking for a platform hidden underneath. So yeah, it's possible that there were some stilts or something hidden underneath the water that he hooked his shoes into so that it would allow him to walk across the surface. That's possible. But again, those are never found. And he would have had to have had a somebody come around behind him and pick those up before, again, one of the people, one of the reporters there who are trying to disprove him would have found them. So again, I can see how that could be faked. You know, for goodness sakes, I watched Mind Freak. I saw Chris Angel walk on water, and I don't believe that he can actually do it. He's not the Messiah. So yeah, it's, it's fakeable, but how did he fake it? The last miracle, though, and this is the brilliant one. And remember, you've been warned about spoilers. So if you like the spoilers aren't going to be that bad, I'm going to just sit through it. No, this is a biggie. So be be mindful. You've been warned. I don't want to get any messages that, how dare you spoil that? Because you've been warned. Those final shots where you realize when the plane goes down. So he's picked up by Israel and shuttled out of the country by the State Department so they can get rid of him. The plane engine blows up because the State Department has decided to kill him. Unbeknownst to Israel, the State Department is basically using them to round him up and the State Department has decided to put a bomb on the plane. Engine blows up. Plane is going to crash. Okay. This is where, if he is not supernatural in some way, shape, or form, the show starts straining credulity because, one, he survives the crash. You know, when the State Department wants somebody dead, they die. So, that, 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 that's miracle number one. Miracle number two they happen to crash not that far away from a village where they can get food, water, and help. That That's, given the map that I saw, he crashed probably somewhere in Mali, I believe, where, where the plane ended up going down. Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell exactly because it's just a vague, like, the western coast of Africa, but... It looked to me like he crashed in Mali, right in the Sahara Desert. Hard to, you know, hard to make it out there unless you have help. But they crash in a poppy field, not that far away from a village. Then we get the boy saying that he saw the kid, Almasi, bring them back to life. Now, very instructively, we get to see this kid earlier where we find out he's maybe the boy who cried wolf or technically he's the boy who cried lion who saw a spaceship and saw a lion and claimed to have warded it off and nobody believes him but these people don't know that 
So we have an unreliable narrator telling us this, but the camera work kind of hinted that everyone else was dead until Alma C walks over to them and either wakes them up or brings them back. And that's the moment where the show really kind of hinges. What happened? How did Alma C survive this plane crash? And that's where we're probably going to be picking up if the show gets a season two, and hopefully it will. I really, really enjoyed Messiah season one. And I, I like a good religious thriller, and I think that they're difficult to do without coming across as either overly cynical or like religious propaganda. Because <laughs> that's not what I want. I don't want either one of those things. I want a really good story, and I think that we got that here. If you like the pace, if you like the tone, if you like the characters, you will be able to get through to the end and be where I am waiting to find out more. If not, I'm sorry. It's just not the show for you. But I can't wait for season two, and I am going to be talking about it a bit more on another episode later this week because I really want to dig into the topic of the cost of belief, which this show brings up. And I think it's a fun topic for us to discuss. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you haven't already, please take a moment to rate it in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out more than you know. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Click that link, keep it short, keep it clean, so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you have a dollar, you can pass my way. It really does help out a lot. In the show notes, you'll find a link to both listener support and my Patreon. A dollar a month really does help out a lot. It helps pay for the software that I'm using to do the show. It paid for the new mic when my microphone died. It helps me pay my bills. And I like being able to pay my bills. So thank you to everybody who already does that. And if you can join the project, please do. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like um, contributing, that's fine. But if you know somebody you think would like this podcast or any of the work that I do, please share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and don't forget to have the fun. Bye.